Wonderful. Thanks, Grant. Welcome, everyone. Um, hey, we've done uh, 24 hours here. Yeah, I'm just going to get started. We had originally planned to have a, a gentleman from Ukraine share with us during this hour. And um, unfortunately, we weren't able to make it work. Um, and so um, it's kind of fallen to me to do the teaching here. <laughs> but I'm actually thankful uh, because I, I want to be able to lay more of a foundation around 10 days. That's one of the purposes of this time. Just to summarize, uh, for those who might not have been with us last time, um, this gathering, 10 Days Pentecost, um, is a smaller version of something we want to see happen in the fall. So this is like an opportunity to taste and see and just have a, a smaller experience of what we want to see happen all over the world this September 25th to October 5th. And it's also an opportunity for equipping. So we've chosen leaders that we think are to share and to teach that are going to equip in different parts of um, this, this vision for, for 10 days of prayer um, and really for what God is doing um, around the earth in prayer in preparation for the return of Jesus. So that's the purpose of this time. Give us a taste and see opportunity and also to, to add understanding around it. You need both, you know? We need to experience God uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit in an experiential way, but then we need to add knowledge and understanding words to what we're experiencing. That's the, the Word and the Spirit working together. And so we really need to have both. Everything God does, He always does through both His Word and His Spirit. Um, and so that's the goal for this time. This is kind of the word portion. And, um, because we've had this cancellation, I'm going to, I'm going to bring a little bit more to you all about 10 days. And, uh, so I shared last time just about the, the vision of 10 days. Um, this encounter I had with the Lord in 2004, this phrase, Babylon refuses to mourn, but my people will mourn before I return. And then this idea, this vision that God had given of entire cities stopping everything during these fall feasts of people just taking, taking time, consecrating time, clearing their schedules. You know, I don't know how to make a city stop, but I can do this with myself and with my family of families devoting themselves to seeking the Lord during these 10 days of, of churches gathering together in cities to cry out to God and just this, this idea of seeing a global surge in prayer and fasting and worship and repentance during these, these fall 10 days. We talked a little bit yesterday just about the, the prophetic significance of the fall feast timeline, how the spring feasts point to Jesus' first coming and the fall feasts point to Jesus' second coming. Um, and, uh, you know, we just talked about how, how 10 days can be a tool for transformation, how communities that are seeing uh, dramatic moves of the Holy Spirit and transforming revival are pursuing very similar strategies to 10 days and, and just shared about how we'd seen that happen in various places. So what I want to talk about now is I want to kind of make the case 
first of all, I want to talk about what what we're gonna what we're gonna do during this ten day time period. And and what we're doing now, I think, is like I said, it's a taste and see event. But I'm really focused on the September 25th to October 5th. What we're going to be doing then, but we're doing it now too. Right? So don't don't miss that. But but the, the invitation is we want to see hundreds and thousands of these events happening in the fall, online, in person, um, however they happen. We want to see thousands of prayer meetings, upper room prayer meetings happening this September 25th to October 5th. And I want to make a case for what kind of activity needs to happen. Um, 10 days is a long period of time. It's a long period of time to set apart for prayer, for worship, for fasting. If you've ever fasted for 10 days, it's a long time. <laughs> Why would I want to do that? And what are we going to be doing during that time? What are we going to be doing during that time? And I think... In terms of the why, we need to ask ourselves, you know, are, is everything kind of okay where we're at or are there some things that need to change? And if there are things that need to change, are they things um, that we can control that are in our power or are they things that only God can do? Because if the things that you can control are in your power, you should go and do them. But if there are things that only God can do, um, then we need to spend that time in prayer. And my suggestion to you is that there are things both individually, corporately in the world that only God can do, that we're waiting on him to do. They're beyond our power. And that's why we need these extended seasons of prayer to really lean into those. We need them because it, we, we desperately need these things to happen, both in our own lives and corporately, and yet they're not in our power. They're in God's power. And that leads us to prayer. And that leads us to extended seasons of prayer and seeking God. So I'm going to talk a little bit about three prayer themes or three levels of prayer. It's actually, you could think of it as seven or three, but um, three ways we want to approach God during the 10 days. And this is like the per this is like what we do during 10 days. So I've shared with you how God gave me this calling to invite people into mourning, 10 days of mourning. He said, Babylon refuses to mourn, but my people will mourn before I return. And uh, that sounded, you know, a little bit dark and depressing to me when I heard it from the Lord. And I think <laughs> that word mourning is not particularly attractive. Um, you know, even I'm, I'm involved in a funeral this week, and it's interesting. People don't want to talk about even in this context, there's a hesitancy to talk about mourning a death. We want to celebrate the life. Um, and uh, I'm not casting judgment on that. I'm just saying as, as human beings, we have this resistance to mourning. Um, and um, I think we recoil from it. We want to be joyful. We want to be happy. I think part of it is that we've had enough sadness in our life and we could do without that again. If you've ever experienced a deep loss, um, you know, the idea of, of embracing mourning, it, it, it's very, it can be very difficult. So I've heard this many times over the years, this vision of unity sounds great, but can we lose the part about mourning? And, uh, you know, I, uh, <laughs> in my heart, I was like, man, I wish we could. This, this vision though, is just like the ugly duckling and uh, have to be faithful to the Lord. This was his invitation. 
we have to say yes to it. And uh, unfortunately, we can't ditch that part. But I say that jokingly. In reality, this is God's wisdom to enter into mourning. Um, and we need to understand what this is and what it isn't. So as I've sought the Lord about this, this is just some language God's given me to talk about it. If we're coming into a 10 days of mourning, what are we really doing? How can we embrace this word that, that is, uh, seems so difficult? First of all, let's understand what it is. Mourning is about what we do not have. It's about what we've lost. Um, it's about something we don't have that we desperately need. Um, we mourn in, when we're in great suffering. Um, and we mourn when we're under pressure or we're afflicted by our enemies. I think about the people of Ukraine right now. I'm sure there is a lot of mourning that is happening there as they are under attack um, by Russia. I'm sure it, it's, it's, uh, it's creating this dynamic of mourning because of the warfare, because of the loss. Um, and so that's uh, more in the natural. So during 10 days, it's a voluntary time of mourning. And it's, you don't have to do this, but it's voluntary. And we're focusing on what we don't have and what we've lost. Now, something I want to point out, and this is very important, is that just based on how God's way of doing business works, based on how the kingdom of God is set up, we don't, we can't receive what we've lost if we think we have it. <laughs> and so this morning is not um, a morning without hope. It's actually a morning unto receiving what we need. I want you just to consider a couple of passages here. I'm going to just zip to them real quick. But Revelation 3, I think this is a familiar passage. Um, Jesus is talking to the church in Laodicea. He says, uh, you know, because you're not hot or cold, I'll spit you out of your mouth, out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. You do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed um, and anoint your eyes with eye salve so you may see. So these guys think they're doing all right. They think everything's great. And Jesus is like, no, you, you don't understand that you don't see. You're poor. You think you're rich, but you're poor. He says something very similar to the Jews, uh, the Jewish leaders in John chapter nine, that amazing passage where he heals the eyes of the blind man. And then it creates this incredible controversy. It's actually a really funny passage because of the blindness of the leaders here. And he says to them in, in John nine thirty nine, for judgment, I have come into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, are we blind also? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. So it's in this place of mourning that we recognize what we're blind to, what we're missing. We can get this eye salve that we need. Um, <laughs> we can correct um, our lack of vision that is endangering us. Like Jesus says, like your sin remains um, if you think you're seeing and you're not. 
Um, and so when we recognize what we've lost, what we lack, what's missing and start to ask for it, that's the other thing is it turns out, it turns on asking. So if you think you're rich, you think you're seeing clearly, you're not asking God, show me, uh, feed me, give me, you know, give me vision. You think you have it. And we're all in that boat at different times and in different ways. So just like Jesus teaches, recognizing our poverty is the first step towards real spiritual wealth. Wow, I didn't realize I put those scripture references in, but um, good job past me. Um, so mourning is about humility. It is about humility. There's a, a key scripture I think we all know. It says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Just think about that for a minute. You can guarantee God's opposition to you by living in pride, by moving in pride. You can also guarantee that the grace of God will flow into your life by living in humility. And so 10 days is just about that. Mourning is, is another way of saying humility, in other words. How do we do it? We fast. Fasting is a way to physically humble yourself. Don't make it too complicated. Uh, you know, don't make it all about the heart. <laughs> it is about the heart, but we can take tangible steps to express, I want to humble myself before God. So fasting is one of those. Prayer and worship, thanksgiving, praise, supplication, glorifying God are all expressions of humility. When I'm saying praise the Lord, when I'm thanking God, that is by its very virtue, an act of humility. It's attracting the grace of God. When we confess sins, when we turn away from evil activities, that expresses humility because we're agreeing with God. We're laying down our own uh, contrary narrative about the world that what I'm doing is fine and we're embracing God's narrative. No, it's not fine. It's a sin. Um, uniting with other believers is a way to express humility, expresses our need, expresses our agreement with, with God's promises and God's word. Um, and then stopping our normal activity to wait on God. As busy people, this might be the greatest way we can humble ourselves. Um, you know, I had a, I, I talked to some friends years ago who were organizing a citywide event and uh, it was a service event, very, you know, had a lot of amazing parts to it, really was an amazing event. And I said to them, guys, what you're trying to do is you're trying to get people to come together and do something. I'm trying to get people to come together and stop doing something. And that's what we're doing. We're wanting people to lay aside normal life in order to humble themselves and just wait on the Lord as families, as communities, uh, as whole cities. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. When we stop and sit in the place of mourning, we're opening up an avenue for the grace of God to flow into our lives. This is cool. I mean, it's, it's literally, mourning is literally opening a door to joy in your life when we embrace it. And this holds true. This, this concept of God gives grace to the humble, I just want to make it clear, it holds true at the personal level but it also applies at the family level. It applies at the city level, the church level. Any group of people that's moving in this humility is going to attract the grace of God. And the more humility, the more grace of God. It's, it's, it's a pretty amazing um, way that God has given us just to access 
um, his grace that he has for us. We, a, a amazing way we can agree with him. I think when a whole city is humbling itself, you could think of it like a low pressure system over that city. It's going to just attract the reign of God, the grace of God. It's going to just pull it in. Um, and that's what we're looking to see. It's just not just God's blessing over households and families, but over entire cities that begin to bring transformation. But it's through this, this, this concept of mourning and humility that I believe God is going to make it happen. So mourning is also about desire. Um, I want to talk about this concept of desire a little bit. Um, Psalm 37 says, trust in the Lord, wait patiently for him, and he will give you your heart's desire. Sometimes when we're talking to God, we don't, we think it's all about what he wants. And obviously it is, we, we recognize, um, <laughs> it's like obvious, we want to do what God wants, right? I mean, that's part of following him. Obviously he's greater. But it's interesting that in John 15, 7, he says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you desire and it will be done for you. So it's not just ask whatever you think I want. It's ask what you actually desire. And so God is after a heart transformation where we begin to desire things that he wants. And it's like we're 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 joined, but actually he wants to respond to our deepest desires not just to our head knowledge thought about what he wants us to pray for. Does that make sense? And this connects to mourning because what is mourning, but an expression of desire for what is lost and lacking, right? Mourning affects the heart. It's not just a mental thing. It, it cuts deeply into the very core of who we are. And so during 10 days, we are looking to see mourning stirred up in the people of God cut to the heart where we're abiding in him. His words are abiding in us. These holy desires are, are the fruit of that. And then the fruit of these holy desires coming out of us is answered prayer. It says, um, ask whatever you desire and it'll be done for you. It's a blank check for answered prayer when we pray in this way that John 15, seven lays out. We're gonna pray prayers as we abide in Jesus, as his words transform us. We're going to pray prayers that the Father can't help but answer. Have you ever had a request from someone that it just cut to the heart of you and you knew you had to do what that person was asking? You know, my kids come to me all the time and ask for this or that. And, you know, a lot of times it's like maybe, you know, you try not to get yourself on the hook, try not to make a promise you can't fulfill. But there's certain moments when they come to you and they ask for something and it's it's just coming straight from their heart and you're just so moved. You're like, I have to answer. I have to say yes to that. That is the kind of prayers that God wants us to pray. And that's that's what what this place of mourning is going to bring us into praying prayers that the father is so attracted to. He can't help but say yes to us. All right. I'm going to talk a little bit about different kinds of mourning or different levels of mourning. Um, and these are all, I just want to point out, all of these things are really, really rooted in scripture and major biblical themes, not just kind of like side things. These are rooted in the narrative of what God is doing and wants to do um, in this age, in this era. Um, our themes, these are our themes that never change. This is not like 
we want to pray for an election this year or, you know, different things. We want to pray about this justice, this social issue or this problem or all those things are great to pray about. But this is things that we just know are the heart of God all the time, every year. And uh, this is really the, the, the purpose of 10 days. So during 10 days, there's a personal focus in our prayer. Um, I remember early on, I, I had a, a group of intercessors that organized the 10 days events, and they were mostly part of a part of a, a group of churches kind of south of Boston. And they were excited. They were like, we're going to go for it in prayer. We're going to see breakthroughs. And they were just shocked. They said, the entire, we thought we were going to be praying all this prayer and God has just wanted to work on us the entire time. And when we actually become still <laughs> before God, you know, we realize, oh, shoot, you're not waiting on me to pray stuff to do it. Actually, more important to you might be transforming me into your image, making me someone who looks like Jesus, dealing with, um, you know, different sin and immaturity in our lives. And so 10 days is about personal transformation. It's about being transformed into the likeness of Christ. Um, I think one misunderstanding of repentance that I hear a lot, um, and, and a lot of times when people talk about repentance, there can be a, an element of condemnation that's associated with it. And that's, that's wrong. We don't want to see that. Uh, the scripture says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But that doesn't mean that we also don't have real sins that need to be confessed and moved on from. But what I want to point out with repentance is it's a, a complete 180 degree turn. So repentance is not just confession, which is admitting what we've done wrong. It's also the full complete turn to where we actually start to get it right. Uh, the Greek word means changing your mind. So, um, you know, if I think um, murder is okay, I'm just going to use an extreme example. If I think it's okay to murder people if they do me wrong, repentance from that isn't just not murdering people and realizing that's wrong. Repentance would actually mean coming all the way to what Jesus teaches us, that I should pray for my enemies and bless those who persecute me. Does that make sense? So when that's who I really am, I've repented from murder. So that's what it means to enter into repentance. It's not just turning away from sin. It's turning towards what Jesus calls us into. And the result of this is that individually we're, we're, we're coming into the likeness of Jesus during this time. So it's like, why would you be, a, <laughs> who could be against repentance? Like the most amazing thing. Okay, I'm going to get to be more like Jesus and get rid of the stuff that's keeping me from it. I'm in. I'm in. So how do we do this? Um, I'm, I can, you know, I, I combine a little bit of a laid back personality with, with uh, kind of a little bit of an intense personality at times. And so especially early on in this journey, you know, there was, as I was learning how to do this, there was definitely a tendency towards like beating myself up, um, you know, just all these failings, thinking about all this stuff, uh, sort of, I would say a dangerous introspection. And I think that's not the best way to do it. I think the best way to be personally transformed is to just enter into worship acknowledge who Jesus is, wait on him in quietness and trust, 
and then just give the Holy Spirit space to move in our lives. If there are things that he brings up to turn away from them, if there are things we're turning towards to really embrace those, but just to abide in him and let his presence minister to us. Like this is actually kind of a delightful invitation um, to be transformed by the kindest, the best person who ever was. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. And so as we just position ourselves in humility personally, you know, during 10 days, I always just like to pray, God, show me, show me my hidden faults. What am I missing? What is it that you want to address? And we just begin as we just abide in him and, and, and spend time in his word, we begin to experience spiritual renewal. This is not rocket science. It's just so easy. Uh, as we just wait on the Lord, he meets us and, and fills us with his presence. These consecrated times, these set apart seasons, even at times when we're not feeling it happen, it is happening, but, but we also do experience it. We feel it. Um, and, uh, this isn't just broken relationship or repentance towards God. It's also a time for, for repentance towards others. Um, if there are those that we've offended or who have offended us, um, this is, this is a time to get things right, not just vertically, but horizontally in the body. Um, you know, what I would just say is this is very simple. <laughs> it's very hard to do. Um, you know, talking about stopping things for 10 days, but it really, really works. If you just, you know, if you do this in your family, Hey, we're going to, we're going to turn off entertainment. We're going to take some time off from work and school. We're going to just make this time about Jesus. We're going to focus on him together. If you do it in your city, your church, this really works. I just remember uh, one particular moment with a group that really dove into 10 days early on. And um, it was just remarkable. They, <laughs> as they just stopped, they, this was a, a, a missions group that had been running hard. God just began speaking to him. One of the guys said, you know, the Lord gave me a vision. I just saw that I was driving like a Volkswagen Beetle, one of those really old cars, really slow cars. Like I was driving it like a hundred miles an hour. And the Lord was just like, bring it into the shop and let me upgrade you. Right. That's the kind of thing God wants to do during this time. It's not putting gas in the tank. It's not uh, getting an oil change. Even this is, this is significant heart maintenance for your soul or, or to use another analogy. Um, you know, the builder, he wants to come in and not just clean your house. He wants to put on an addition it's going to take some time when we give God this extended time it allows him to do a deeper work in us personally than he could do otherwise. So that's what God wants to do during these 10 days in you personally. It's, it's a extreme home makeover. It's a beautification of you personally uh, into the image and likeness of Jesus and giving him more time just shows him, hey, this is something that you value and cherish. It's, it's, it's just an amazing way to say to God, like, no, I, I want to meet, I want you to change me. And um, we see God do this every year in incredible ways. Not that this is a silver bullet, not that this is the one thing that's going to fix everything, but it's just so, <laughs> it's so predictable. 
Um, it's not rocket science. When, when we humble ourselves before him, he gives us grace. He transforms us personally. So in terms of 10 days, why else should we take this time and mourn? And what does it mean to mourn? I think there's a level of mourning that isn't personal, but it's intercessory. What I mean by that is it's mourning that we're doing on behalf of others. It's an intercessory work that is benefiting others and is in alignment with God's words. I, I find this Daniel chapter nine to be a very interesting passage and I encourage you to read it on your own. But just to summarize it, Daniel realizes that Jeremiah had predicted a return to Jerusalem in 70 years, 70 years of exile. He realizes 70 years is almost there. And so Daniel just says, well, God has said it, it's going to happen. And he goes out and just does his normal thing and hangs out with his fellow wise men in Babylon. No, that's not what happens. Daniel enters into intercessory mourning. He covers himself in sackcloth. He takes the entire day for prayer and fasting and, re- and confession of sin before God, humbling himself before God. So Daniel reads what God wants to do. And instead of taking a passive approach, oh, God wants to do it, it'll happen. He sees himself as part of the fulfillment of God's promises. Isn't that amazing? When we read God's promises, we need to see ourselves as part of God's means to fulfill those promises. That's called agreement and that's called faith. God does everything he does in the earth is grace working through faith. <laughs> that's his, that's how he does things. And so God wants to fulfill his promises, but he wants to fulfill them through us agreeing with him and having faith. That's his chosen means. So um, Daniel's an amazing example of that. Now, are there any major promises of God that have not been fulfilled? One question. And then how can we partner um, with God in intercessory mourning like Daniel to do those, to fulfill those things? Um, that's just a couple of questions there. I think, I think the key thing to understand is God's government And the way he likes to rule is such that he loves to do it in partnership. And he's chosen to partner with us. He wants to release his grace, his power, his his free gift through our faith, our agreement with him. And so we're actually part of the fulfillment of God's promises. Pretty cool, pretty amazing that we could actually be a part of it. Um, and so we, we just have four major promises that we focus on during 10 days. These are big, uh, big things that occur that are testified through throughout the scriptures, not just in one place. And they haven't happened yet. <laughs> so kind of like Jeremiah reading Jeremiah. Oh, 70 years. This is going to happen. These are all things that haven't happened yet. So first of all, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to every nation and ethnic group. Um, This has not happened yet. There's still uh, about 30% 
of the people on earth who have never had a chance to hear the name of Jesus. And so it, I think what's happened is the gospel has gone all the way out to the ends of the earth. And now it's almost like a sweeping movement back towards Jerusalem where everything started. There's been so much revelation about that um, in the body. It's almost like, you know, when you vacuum, you push it out once and push it in. Um, it's, it's, it's almost like we're going to see the fulfillment on the way back. Um, but nevertheless, like there are people that have never heard about Jesus. We need to pray, Lord of the harvest, send forth laborers into the harvest field. This is something that can only happen through prayer. This is something that can only happen through prayer. How many people have heard testimonies about um, in the Muslim world in the last 20 to 30 years, people seeing visions of Jesus, the man in white? How many people have heard testimonies about that? That is being released through the prayers of God's people. That is an example of God answering prayer and releasing uh, the gospel into places even that missionaries sometimes can't go. And so we need to pray for this during 10 days. Like, this is a big deal to God. This is like a cornerstone of his plan. <laughs> Until all the nations hear, Jesus is not coming back. And so also there's resistance from the enemy. But this is one of the things we want to focus on during 10 days. Can you imagine hundreds of millions of believers taking time off of work, school, stopping everything, and just crying out to God, Lord, send forth laborers. Lord, let every nation hear. That's what we're, that's what we're looking for. That's what we're going for. Where our hearts and God's, our hearts merge with God's heart. His desires become our desires. So second promise, there is going to be unprecedented supernatural unity among followers of Jesus before the Lord returns. I think we already experience a significant measure of this, but there is more. Uh, Jesus prays, let them be one just as we are one, just as the Father and Son are one, so that the world may know. So I like to say Jesus gets what he prays for. Jesus's prayer is good theology. This is, this is going to happen. It's not just testified to in John 17. It's actually testified to in, in many different passages from Revelation, to Ephesians chapter 4, um, many other places. But this reality is something that's coming. We are going to see this happen. I don't know if we will in this room, but the believers on earth are going to see this happen. It's going to be amazing. A holy united bride. It's, it's, it's what's described in Revelation 19. And so we want to pray for that. How many people can just testify this is not in our power to do, right? This is, I can't do this. I have no idea how to do this. Okay, it's an item for prayer then, right? It's an item to cry out to God for this to happen and have our hearts changed so we really want it more than all the other things we want. Okay, um, a third thing we focus on in prayer, intercessory prayer. There's going to be a global outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That's what Joel 2, 28 to 30 says. So you might say to me, well, Jonathan, that happened in Acts 2. And uh, I really agree with that. It definitely happened in Acts 2. But um, in context, Joel passage is talking about the return of the Lord. 
like right before the return of the Lord. So this season of the Lord's return, while we're waiting for it, kicked off in Acts 2, uh, really in Acts 1, when the angel said, he's coming back the same way he ascended, he's going to come back to you. Um, we've been waiting almost 2,000 years for that. And before that great and awesome day, I believe there's going to be another significant outpouring of the Holy Spirit um, that, that, that may be even just the best wine that Jesus has saved for last. And we know this has happened throughout history. There have been many outpourings of the Holy Spirit historically, some of which have been localized and others of which have been global in their scope. Um, and so we're, we're just asking God for this. Lord, pour out your spirit afresh um, to, to bring us in to Jesus coming, Jesus' return. And then number four, uh, promise number four, there's going to be an incredible move of God, not just among the nations, but among the Jewish people. Uh, Romans 9, 10, and 11 make this really clear. It's probably the clearest place in the Bible where you can see it, but it's other places as well. And so we are praying during this time for Jewish people to recognize Jesus, Yeshua, as their Messiah and to cry out to him, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. If God can be visiting um, Muslims and giving them visions of dream, visions and dreams of Jesus, why not in the Jewish community? And there's a lot of opposition to this um, uh, in the spirit and, and among Jewish people, because this is such an important thing. And so we just want to pray for it. We're going we're gonna to pray for it. We recognize that our battle is not against flesh and blood. This is something we cannot do on our own. We need the intervention. We need miraculous intervention from the Holy Spirit to break the blindness off the eyes of Israel and open their eyes to see. Uh, their Messiah. And so these are four major promises we want to pray for um, during 10 days. These are things that we can't do ourselves. We need the intervention of God. And these are big picture things, right? These are, these are our massive things that, that foreshadow and lead up to um, Jesus coming. Um, and so I'm just going to go on to this next point here. Last point, uh, major focus of 10 days is longing for the return of Jesus. This is mourning for the bridegroom. And, um, you know, early on in sharing this, this, this was the thing that people would have the hardest time getting. I feel like people are getting it better right now, uh, which is, which is cool. I'm just, I'm grateful to the Lord for that. But Jesus talks about this in Matthew nine. And the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, but days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away and then they will fast. So it's this prophecy that, hey, we're not fasting right now because I'm here, but when I'm gone, there's going to be a sorrow because of my departure. And that's going to lead to a time of mourning and fasting. So 10 days is probably preeminently an opportunity to enter into that reality. Um, guys, we don't realize how poor we are. We're, I just want to draw an analogy, like just imagine the worst situation of poverty you can imagine. Uh, for me, that would be orphan kids living in a trash dump and growing up there without parents, without, um, you know, just, just in this destitute state. In comparison 
to what the Lord has for us when he returns, that's, that's the state we're in and worse right now. We don't realize how bad this is because this is all we've ever known. <laughs> this is all we've ever known. We were not made for this, guys. We were not made for this. We are made for eternal life, abundant life, overflowing life with Christ forever and ever, where there's no death, no pain, no sorrow, no tears. That's what we're made for. And sorry, I'm getting a little caught up just thinking about him coming back. We're made to be with him. You know, I'm so grateful for the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, um, I'm, I'm, it's better for you that I go so I can send the Holy Spirit. But what is the Holy Spirit given to us for? It's a guarantee. It's a foretaste of what's coming so that we can long for the fulfillment. The Holy Spirit is the engagement ring, but we are longing for the wedding to come. We're longing for the fullness. We're longing for union with him. That's, that's, that's what the Holy Spirit has been given to us for. Um, and we're in this in-between moment where he's not here. Like we, we should not be satisfied with that reality. And 10 days is a time to realize what we're missing. We're missing Jesus. We're missing him being with us, being present with us. Um, and look, I know there's different theology around the Lord's return, but, but the reality is we all agree he is coming again. He is coming again. It's right there in the apostles creed. He's coming again to judge the living and the dead. Um, some people think it's strange to pray for the Lord's return. Um, it's not strange. Uh, in fact, we're, we're actually commanded to do it. Um, when we pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, what do you think we're praying for? When is his kingdom going to come on earth as it is in heaven in fullness? Not that we can't experience a foretaste now, but then you walk out the door and, and some madman killed 19 kids in Texas. Or you see a miracle happen and yet there's still broken relationships all around you. Your, your spouse or loved one is still on a crippling illness. Um, you know, all these things are just normal. We just accept it. But this is not what God has for us. This is not his, his plan. This is only for a little while. Um, we want the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven, that the Father's will determines everything that happens. The final prayer in the Bible, guys is come. It's a prayer. The spirit and the bride say, come. It's a prayer for Jesus to return. That is the last prayer in the Bible. And so we are supposed to pray this. 10 days is a time to cry out for him to come. Lord, come. It's, it's both because of love for him, because it's hard to be away. And it's because things are so hard. <laughs> it's both. It's both. Things are bad and you're really good. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. We miss you. And it's really difficult here. We need your help to even make it day to day. Would you come and take away this pain, this difficulty? And so this is the kind of morning that we're entering into. Um, I want you to think about 
the children of Israel, when they were enslaved in Egypt, and it says their cry ascended into heaven, God heard their cry. God is looking for a cry like that for a deliverer to come before he sends his son. And 10 days is about creating a context for that cry to be, to be released. So um, another thing I'll just mention here, um, <laughs> part of, you know, this whole return of Jesus thing is not just a story of a rescue. It's also a story of a wedding and um, part of what makes a bride beautiful. And, and we're in the position of a bride in this scenario is her single hearted devotion to her husband, her love for her husband, her desire for her husband. God is going to get that from us before he sends Jesus. That's going to happen. That's what we read about in Revelation 19. It's, it's coming. We read about it in Revelation 5. It's happening. I'm sorry, Ephesians 5. I meant to say Ephesians. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. We're going to have the appropriate, I'm just going to use that, that phrase, the appropriate level of desire for the Lord's return before he comes. But it's just going to be like way, way more than we're experiencing it right now. We need to repent. We need to turn away from a wrong heart attitude towards Jesus' second coming. We're not even anticipating it. And we need to just embrace this longing to be with him face to face. That's what we're made for. That's what we're meant to do. Um, and so that's, that's what we want to see happen during 10 days. We want to see this incredible desire stirred up in the church for Jesus' return. And all these things, all these realities, all six of these points or three of these points, depending on how you want to call it, are all things that relate to Jesus' second coming. And so at the end, 10 days is like this cry to the Lord, like get us ready for his return and send Jesus. Send Jesus, revive us, awaken us. We want to turn away from sin. We don't want to be caught sleeping when he comes. We want to be ready. We want to pray for all the things you said would happen before he comes to happen. We want our hearts to be filled with love for this one who has given everything for us we want to be ready for that. And so that's what we're wanting to do in 10 days is, is just get ready for him to come. But can you just imagine this happening all over the globe? Just hundreds of millions of people crying out to God on these significant dates that point to his return. It's really cool to think about, I think. And uh, it's amazing how far we've come uh, in the last 16, 17, 18 years, however long it's been. Um, God is doing this. He is stirring up a prayer movement around the earth to cry out for those things he's promised to do and to cry out for his son's return. And uh, we are we get to be a small part of that. And uh, that is the point of 10 days. I, I would just throw this in. I was like going to be like the, the, the free. It's, it's fine if we pray for specific things. Um, crisis situations, man, I just had a crisis situation recently and I was, I couldn't help but pray about it. It's just like, I'm praying because it's dominating my mind. I, you know, it's dominating my life right now. I'm praying about this crisis situation. It's fine to pray about all those things, political things, et cetera. But this is the stuff I think we should most mobilize prayer for, not God stop this law from being instituted, not God, we need this person in, in, in position of power, not God, I'm facing this crisis here. I'm facing that crisis there, but 
we, we really want to focus our prayer energies around the things God has said, hey, this is what matters to me. This is what really matters to me. And then trust the Lord that he's going to work out some of that other stuff uh, for us along the way. We're going to have crises. We're going to have difficulties. We're going to have setbacks in various areas. But if we can keep coming back to these core things that God has spoken, that God's revealed to us in the word, I think that's where we're going to have the most fruitfulness in the place of prayer uh, and, and see the most transformation. And uh, anyway, that's my, uh, that's my stick. I hope that you'll just pray about and consider doing 10 days, either starting a new one or joining one that exists in your city and in your region or in the area to which you're called the September 25th, to October 5th. I think as we cry out to God together, it is going to be transformative in the earth. It's going to be transformative personally. And we are just going to see God do amazing things as we do that together. Mm-hmm.